Good morning, or whatever time of day, wherever and whenever you're listening. This is TechBiter Worldwide for the week of June 10th, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour. That's because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. And we're just a little late this week, late getting the audio posted. Why, you might wonder. Well, as it turns out, it appears that the recording application I use... SoundForge 7 doesn't work with Vista. Oh, it looks like it works with Vista. It lets you record an entire program. It's only when you try to save it to the hard drive that it stops responding. Thanks, Microsoft. Thanks, Sony. Last week I said I would be installing a copy of Vista on my computer. The copy of Vista had been sitting beside the computer for several weeks. I wanted to have a two-day window before I started the installation, and that finally happened on June 2nd. I realized I could set aside most of the weekend. I planned to try upgrading from Windows XP in place, but wanted the extra day just in case I had to format the drive and do a clean install. Well, now I have enough information to describe the installation process and at least my first impressions of what Microsoft has created. Installing an operating system in place is always risky. Sometimes it works just fine. Sometimes it's an utter disaster. I expected to encounter some problems along the way, nothing really huge, and that's largely what happened, at least until this morning when I had the problem with SoundForge. But that's a topic for another time. The installation started with what I'll call pre-game festivities about 10.30 last Saturday morning, the actual kickoff about 11 a.m. Installation was complete by around 1.30, but then I had another two and a half, three hours of troubleshooting minor problems and installing device driver updates and other things like that took much of the rest of the day. Overall, probably about 10 hours. At this point, I can at least partially answer the big question. The big question, should you get Vista? Well, there are at least four categories in in the answer. If you're buying a new home computer, yeah, you probably want Vista. You're buying a new computer for your business. If it's a small business, pretty much standalone computers, then yeah, probably Vista is going to be okay. If it's for a larger company, Make sure the IT folks are in on the decision. Now, what if you have a new home computer for use with an office computer? Or if you are thinking about upgrading a home computer that works with your office computer? Well, again, ask IT. There are some problems with Vista and VPN. So if you connect to your office system with VPN, your corporate IT folks may not want you to have Vista, at least not just yet. And that leaves the fourth category. You have a home computer, you're thinking about upgrading it to Vista. If the computer has less than two gigabytes of RAM, forget it. If the machine is more than about a year old, forget it. And if you pass those tests, then run Microsoft's Upgrade Advisor and examine the problem list. And keep in mind that Microsoft Advisor will not catch everything as it did not catch Sony SoundForge 
if you're okay with dealing with the problems that are created by the new operating system, not running with whichever applications and whichever hardware the upgrade advisor catches, and you understand that not all of the hardware and not all of the software will work, and you're willing to put up with the problems caused by a new operating system, any new operating system, not just Vista. Anytime there's a new operating system, there'll be a new batch of problems. If you're okay with all of that, then now is the time to go to Vista. If not, this is a good time to wait. When the installation was complete, I encountered a rather odd problem with the network. I realized that I could not go online to do anything. But, oddly enough, I could ping some domains, just not very many. And I could still see machines on the, the homeland. So I was, the, the symptoms were more than a little odd at that point. It took what seemed like an enormous time to figure out the problem. In reality, that enormous time was only about 30 to 40 minutes. What it turned out to be is an old firewall, Komodo, which I use successfully with Windows XP. At some point, Komodo reported that it had been damaged. Now, Windows had turned off the Komodo firewall and had turned on its own firewall. And by the way, the new Windows firewall is really pretty good. However, even in turning off the Komodo firewall, apparently some of the code was left in place and it was getting in the way of network communications. I removed the Komodo firewall and everything was fine. Among the failed applications and devices that were not on the warning list for Microsoft were Carbonite, that's my online backup service, AVG Antivirus, Silverfast, the Wacom Digitizing Tablet, and Creative's Audigy 2 ZS. Oh, and Sony SoundForge. The tablet and the sound card were both quickly made functional by downloading and installing new drivers. I knew I needed a new driver for my Epson scanner. That was a quick fix. The final significant problem was Nero 7. The download was about 180 megabytes. Uh, not a big deal, but it turned out to be a fairly difficult install. I had uninstalled Nero before upgrading to Vista. That was in the Upgrade Advisor's report that it had to be uninstalled first. But when I tried to run the 180 megabyte upgrade file, it told me that the version I had was not supported thinking that I then perhaps had to reinstall the version from the CD before running the upgrade, and that's something that appeared to be what was being said in the Microsoft Upgrade Advisor, I started the installation process from the CD, but the installer crashed. So, at that point, I wasn't able to install the download, and I wasn't able to install the CD. So I decided to remove the application. That runs the uninstaller, which is the same as the installer program, but it crashed. So, at this point, I couldn't install from the CD, I couldn't uninstall, and I couldn't install the new download. Then I noticed on the Nero website information about a general clean tool. I downloaded that, ran it, it removed all traces of version 7, allowed me to reinstall the newly downloaded file, and give it the installation key from the CD. The next problem to solve, I thought, would be the one with AVG Antivirus. I do like having an antivirus program running. I downloaded the latest version of the application, uninstalled the existing version, reinstalled the new one, 
ran an update to get all the latest antivirus definitions, and that eliminated the warning from the Windows security system. That left Carbonite, the online backup application. I visited the Carbonite website, logged in, selected the reinstall operation. Carbonite's little icon turned green, and everything is fine again. You'll find on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com, some screen captures of things along the way on the road to Vista. So far, in general, my impressions are good. Difficulties with Komodo Firewall, Internet connectivity problems caused by the broken Komodo Firewall, Carbonite being disabled following the update, the AVG antivirus failing after the update, those were all somewhat discouraging, but not entirely unexpected. When you replace one operating system with another in place, you're doing an enormously complex process. I have to give Microsoft generally good grades for warning about most of the problems that I would encounter, but not all. I had completely missed Komodo. The firewall is not compatible with Vista. The company is working on a Vista-compatible firewall. Plans to have a beta out any day now. It missed entirely on SoundForge. The pre-installation advisor had warned about problems with Nero applications. And had I found and read a publication on Nero's website before trying to accomplish the upgrade, I wouldn't have had the problems that I encountered. One disappointment for me was that the PDF Creator isn't yet compatible with Vista. PDF Creator is a little free application, sets itself up as a printer, makes it possible for users to create a quick and dirty PDF by printing to the application. This is not the kind of PDF you'd want to send off to a high-end publisher, but it's just what you need if you need to send a PDF copy of a document to somebody. Well, unfortunately, the latest version, which is still beta, by the way, will not work with Windows Vista. There are some workarounds to allow the program to function under Vista, but I'm just sitting back and waiting for a compatible version. You might wonder if I had been better off with a clean installation. And so far, I don't think so. From pre-installation to completion was about 10 hours for a fairly carefully planned upgrade. Despite the bumps that I've encountered, the process did go faster than a clean install would have gone. A clean install would have had Windows up and running in probably about an hour instead of the two to three that it took to do the upgrade in place. But then I would have been faced with several days worth of installing applications, activating applications, setting preferences, downloading and installing upgrades, and all that fun stuff. Now, if your computer is having trouble, a clean installation is the only reasonable solution. But if applications run without crashing, if startup and shutdown are normal, if you don't see any signs of impending disaster, an in-place upgrade is a pretty good starting point. If you're doing that, though, allow enough time for things to go terribly wrong because they can. For example, during the installation last weekend, we had a couple of power dips. Without a UPS unit in place, the installation might have crashed, and that would have been catastrophic. Early on, I noticed a lot of disk activity, and I wanted to see what was causing all that disk activity. thought I would run Disk Action 2, a PC magazine utility that can monitor disk drives and tell me who's reading and writing what to the disk. Well, that doesn't work under Vista, but that's okay. Microsoft has vastly improved its old performance monitor. Now the performance monitor can see disk, CPU, RAM, and internet usage on a single screen, and it reports which applications are doing what. It's pretty neat. A friend of mine and I were having a conversation. He's a Mac 
person who uses a Windows computer from time to time. I am a Windows person who uses a Mac computer from time to time. He commented that the registry is an insane notion. Apple's individual preferences files make far more sense. Less fragile, easy to maintain, easy to uninstall, much harder to hide spyware. My comment, well, I'm not so sure it would be less fragile. Mac users have more than their share of trouble with preferences. So I wonder if it's better to have one large database or bunches of smaller files. One big target is probably about as likely to be hit as lots of smaller targets. Now, the case can be made that a single destroyed preferences file will take one application out of play, but a destroyed registry will kill the entire computer. Absolutely true. But in 12 years of dealing with the registry on my computers, my kids' computers, and clients' computers, I have never seen a registry so badly damaged that Windows had to be reinstalled. I know it happens. I've just never seen it. Apple may win on easier to maintain, one preference file per application. That is easy. Apple certainly wins on the uninstallation process most of the time. I'm not sure that spyware is really an issue. Vista has borrowed some, maybe a lot of features from Apple and also from Adobe. But I'm still holding my breath for when Apple will borrow something as simple and easy as the start menu from Microsoft. I did have one major scare. I removed Acronis, thought I had done that several months ago. That's a backup application. When I rebooted, the machine wouldn't start. Windows would not start, not even in safe mode. Microsoft suggested booting from the DVD and choosing Repair. I opted for last known good configuration. Their method probably would have worked. Mine did. I had to either reinstall or run a fix application on several programs, but overall, the upgrade has gone reasonably well. Oh, and all of that disk activity, by the way, well, Vista is indexing all of the disk drives so that it can provide the same kind of search facility that Apple's OS X does. This has been a feature of previous Windows versions, but I've always turned it off. This time around, I'm leaving it on just to see how it goes. Which is better, a 3-megapixel digital camera or a 6-megapixel digital camera? I'm not Ansel Adams, but I know that hardware doesn't equal photographic success. Adams chose to use sheet film and large cameras, but the images he created would have been just as compelling had he used 35-millimeter film. Professional photographers today argue about real images created with film and digital images. They argue about the number of pixels. But the number of pixels is really a meaningless measure. I have a Nikon SLR that creates a 3-megapixel image, and I have an Olympus point-and-shoot camera that creates a 6-megapixel image. The Olympus pictures must certainly be better because they have more pixels. Well, if you believe that, you're absolutely wrong. Pixels are only one part of the measure of a good photograph. Color depth is another measure that's important because it relates to the ability to discern among the millions of colors that exist and to reproduce them accurately on screen or on paper. The more overhead that a sensor provides, the better the results that will be. And that's why cameras that can operate in RAW mode, such as the Nikon, which make images that are the same size, the same physical size in pixels as the largest image the camera is capable of producing, but creates a much larger file size. Raw images are not compressed. Raw images have far more information in them. 
JPEG images are compressed, and this is accomplished by discarding information the compression algorithm deems to be non-essential. So, you may have an Instamatic-type digital camera that offers a 6-megapixel image, but it may get there by interpolating what should really be a 3-megapixel or less image. The result? Fuzz. A fuzzy image. These basic cameras also aren't going to offer a raw shooting option. They will offer minimal zone focusing. They'll usually give you little or no control over shutter speed and aperture. With that in mind, on a recent trip to New York, I took with me the small point-and-shoot camera. Take a look at the website, www.techbiter.com, and see what I came back with. Around the end of May, I reported the results of a spam survey by the Pew Internet and American Life Project. The survey contained some encouraging news about the way that we deal with spam. For most people, spam is now either irrelevant or a minor annoyance. Well, for 15 days, I kept the spams that landed in my Gmail accounts, spam box, 155 messages in all. Of those, only one message was a false positive, easily found. The Gmail account receives about 10 spams a day compared to some of my more public accounts that had easily been receiving 100 or more per day, although that has been down a lot in the past week or two. Spam filters eliminate the need to examine all messages as they arrive, and identifying the one good message in a batch of 150 or so takes only a few seconds. There was only one message that was obviously spam based solely on the sender's address. It was from PayPal underscore service at 1755.com. Well, any message from PayPal will come from PayPal. It will address me by name. It will come to my specific PayPal email address. Now, this one was from apparently a real dim bulb spammer because it didn't even pretend to come from PayPal. Among the other 150 or so messages in the spam box, there were lots of offers for things that would increase the size of one's anatomy. There were offers of lots of money to play in a casino, quick degrees, all sorts of medicine. Well, let's face it, nobody's going to give you $500 for free. Real Canadian pharmacies don't send spam. You can't earn a college degree in a few weeks, and you're not going to find real Viagra cheap on the net. If you'd like to see an Excel file that shows the subject lines and the sender, usually forged, of the various spams that I received in that period, you'll find an Excel spreadsheet on the website. So you need either Excel or a program that will open an XLS file to view that information. And I did come across one interesting spam. Interesting and dangerous. It said, Hello, friend. You have just received a postcard greeting from someone who cares about you. Just click here to receive your animated greeting. There were several problems immediately obvious. First of all, total lack of punctuation. Most greeting card operations consider punctuation and grammar relatively important. Second, my name is not mentioned anywhere. Legitimate greeting card operations will greet you by name. And then the sender wasn't identified either. Someone who cares about you is not exactly an identification. When you get a card from a legitimate card purveyor, it will have the sender's information on it. And then if I hovered the mouse over click here, the URL was an interesting one. ejm172.dsl.frii.net forward slash postcard.gif 
dot exe. You might think it was just an animated GIF. But notice that exe at the end. It's an executable file. You click that, you're going to run an application that's going to try to take over your computer. In nerdly news, the San Jose Mercury News is calling Apple TV a flop. The hometown newspaper says that Apple TV has been in stores for just two months, but there are already signs it may join the Lisa and the G4 Cube on the computer maker's list of flops. Something tells me Steve Jobs isn't going to be real happy about that report. The Mercury News calls sales tepid based on anecdotal reports, meaning they don't have any sales figures, meaning Apple hasn't released any sales figures, meaning, yeah, there's a problem. Jobs has referred to Apple TV recently as a hobby, but in January, he was pretty high on it, describing it as one of the company's four key business units, the Mac, iPods, iPhone, not yet released, by the way, and Apple TV. The Apple TV needs a network, a broadband connection, and a digital television. A lot of people have a home network. A lot of people have a broadband connection. Not a lot of people yet have a digital television. You need all three. There are rumors flying that Amazon wants to buy Netflix. If that would happen, it would tip the scale in the battle between Netflix and Blockbuster in Netflix's favor, and it would head off a battle between Netflix and Amazon over video on demand. Netflix has built a substantial base, 6.8 million subscribers in about 10 years. In answer to complaints by customers and a challenge by Blockbuster, Netflix has opened more regional shipping centers, including one here in Columbus, That speeds both inbound and outbound shipments. Spokespeople at both Amazon and Netflix say all of this is just speculation. And this week I am bidding a fond farewell, and I do mean that sincerely, to Adobe InDesign CS2, Photoshop CS2, the rest of the CS2 suite, also to Macromedia Dreamweaver 8. These applications will all be replaced by CS3 versions from Adobe. Adobe acquired Macromedia more than a year ago, and it has been fun watching a program such as InDesign grow and mature. The initial version was essentially a proof of concept, and that's in the words of InDesign program manager Will Isley. The CS and CS2 versions added features, and about three years ago I had the good fortune to meet with some of the InDesign programming team to talk with them about some of the features I'd like to see, features that had been implemented already in Ventura Publisher, years ago. Ventura Publisher, the star-crossed program owned by Xerox at one time and then by Corel. After taking some time off from installing and reviewing big applications, I now find myself with a lot of them. Vista, a new Office suite, Microsoft Office 2007, and the new CS3 suite, including InDesign, Photoshop, Illustrator, Flash, Dreamweaver, Acrobat, Fireworks, and Bridge. So I'm going to be busy. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. This has been Take Two of TechBiter Worldwide for the week of June 10th, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. No, I'm not going to spell it. You know how to spell it. You can also send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.